ask that you would give me the right words to speak to that man. I ask that you would help me to share the message that you have placed upon my heart, that it would bring life to those that hear it. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. It is Mother's Day, and I often have a little bit of trouble sharing things on Mother's Day. It can be hard to do a Mother's Day lesson, and I think probably the hardest thing is never having been a mother, I have to go by other people's concepts or opinions when they tell me what it's like. Never having been a mother, never going to be a mother, it leaves me at a little disadvantage. So I have at different times gotten Pastor Jerry to share on Mother's Day, but she doesn't like to do it always on Mother's Day either. So I have prepared what I felt the Lord had laid on my heart, and I believe it's going to speak to people, help them to recognize some of the things that not just today, but every day. And one of the things that I hear from mothers when I talk to mothers is how the seasons of their life change. You know, you find out little girls that often, you know, five, six, seven years old, and you ask them what their dream is, and they want to be a mommy. And they have a season in life, and they, all they're looking forward to is how to be a mom. And they have dolls, and they play dolls, and their dolls have to behave, and often the dog gets hauled in to be a doll, and the dog doesn't like it, but they still get taught how to behave like a doll and how to behave like a proper child would. And, and you go on to that season, but then as they grow up and they start dating, you know, they may be looking for careers, and they may find a career, but in the back of their mind, they still have the thought, but I want to be a mom one day. Now, it's not every mother, not every woman, but many. Then when they get married and they spend their time building a career and building a home, but it seems like eventually they come to a place, a lot of them, where they say, now is the time we're going to start a family. The different seasons go along. The children grow up, you know, as that little clip that Pastor Jerry showed, they start off and you teach them how to get up as they're walking toward the couch. You teach them how to get up when they're falling down figure skating. You teach them how to win. You teach them how to arrive graciously at the point that you've trained them for. But you know, in a very little while after that, all of a sudden they're gone, they're home, and again there's a new season that hits the homes, and when the children are gone, many times the mothers start feeling like, now I don't know what to do with my life anymore. I've spent the last 20, 30 years investing in the next generation, and now that that next generation has moved on and out, I'm stuck with an empty nest I'm in a place where I haven't kept up for myself necessarily all of the things that I would have. I haven't gone ahead and taken further training. I haven't had the job advancements. I haven't had this. I haven't had that. And now what am I going to do with my life? And it comes so many different seasons. And, you know, sometimes between this period when your children move out from home until the time when they start bringing grandchildren home, it feels very empty at home. But then when the grandkids start coming, of course, that can start changing again. And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, okay, we have children, somebody to look, somebody to invest in. But I see how the different seasons come along. And as women get older and start moving through the different seasons, they will often recognize that the time to train and instruct their children is coming to an end. And that's not when your kids are 18, that's not when you, know, you start recognizing all of a sudden that your children don't need you as much the day they go to school. You start recognizing that as they get you know, 15, 14, 15, 16, they don't really, your opinion isn't as important to them as you would like it to be. The seasons have changed. And so many times, 
mothers end up feeling like they're not ready for this yet. They're not ready for this time. And often they'll start condemning themselves at that point because, well, we didn't do everything right. We should have done this differently. Or they may feel like, you know, the thing that they have identified themselves by no longer applies. You know, for years, the women are sitting at the ball games and they're Johnny's mom or Susie's mom. For years, the women have sat in the different soccer games or whatever and, and they're known by who their children are. That's become their identity. But when the children have gone from home, all of a sudden these things no longer apply and they feel that their job is now finished, but they're not ready to just sit down and do nothing. It can be women. It can be men. We all go through different transitions. We go through different seasons. We go through different places. And I sense that every time we end up going through a transition or moving into another period is a time where our enemy will often use those times to try to destroy what God wants to do. You know, when we start going through a transition period, we start going through a different season in life, and then all of a sudden things aren't as secure. The foundations that we've been resting on, the things that we have built into place, just aren't there anymore because that doesn't apply. Those rules don't apply to this new season. So the enemy will try to use those seasons to discourage people and stop them from enjoying the rest of their lives. When you move into transition, he will often bring up every failure, everything that you ever did wrong, everything that even your children aren't doing. Bring up everything and pin it on you like a little badge of failure. Now, both men and women can feel overwhelmed when these attacks come at the times of transition. And those are the times that people feel the most vulnerable. You know, with men, it might be changing jobs. It might be losing responsibility in one area. It might be demoted. Some men get demoted in life, and all of a sudden the job that they had is no longer their job. And It becomes a time of transition, but it becomes a time where the bearings are gone, the moorings are gone, and we start wondering, what do we do next? And they start feeling vulnerable. Well, the truth is, your entire future is ahead of you. When it is yielded to God, it is a good future with hopes, with purposes, with plans. You know, your entire future is ahead of you because nothing can change what is ahead of you other than you yourself. See, God has not finished with you just because one portion of your life work is done. And yet when we get ourselves so identified in one area of our lives, what happens when that part is done or that season is finished, we start losing our identity. But God has not finished with you yet. He has brought you through a point. He has brought you through a place. And if it's a mother, then there's an awful lot of skills you're going to learn during those years when you have children. In fact, you may very well develop some of your best negotiation skills during those years. You may find out that there's a lot of stuff that you never thought you could do that you're going to learn how to do, and you're prepared now for different places. But if you keep thinking of yourself as, well, you know, that part of my life is gone, it's over, then you're going to end up missing what God has for you in the future. See, just because one portion of the life is finished does not mean that God's work is done. He has a position for you, and if you will trust Him, you're going to be able to finish your course with joy. Instead of sitting there and spending the last of your days at home, 
feeling sorry for yourself because the kids don't come enough. Feeling sorry for yourselves because you don't get enough phone calls or enough visitors or whatever you're looking for. Instead of feeling sorry for yourself, you can invest yourself in the kingdom of God and you're going to find out that your purpose is much greater than where you thought it ended. That was a preparation time. You know, I had a number of years ago, we had a a lady that came to church and she was a single lady and she had been married, her husband had left her, but she made the comment, she says, I am not going to be one of the women like my mother was. She's sitting at home, sitting in the coffee shops, feeling sorry for herself. She says, I have worked in different ministries, and I have seen women that have got out of the home. They've got involved in people's lives. They've got involved in different things. But she says, the people that got involved, the ladies that got involved, are much happier than the ones that are sitting at home. Just because that season is done, doesn't mean that the whole job is finished. You just move on. You move into the position, trusting God, and finish your course with joy. Finish your course recognizing that you can make an impact on future generations, regardless of what age you get to. If we want to move into the future that God has for us, though, we're going to have to follow the advice of the Apostle Paul. We must forget those things which are behind as we press to the mark of our high calling in Christ Jesus. See, too often we let our behind distract us from moving forward. But the past is the past. The past is history. Whether it is good, bad, ugly, or pretty, we will never move forward while we're looking backwards. And it can be people looking at themselves and saying, well, you know, I really messed up here, I really messed up there. This didn't happen the way I wanted, this wasn't that. Or other people sit there and they look back and they remember everything with fondness. Oh yes, but this was then and oh, I had such opportunities then and oh, the ability I had there and oh, I could really do this and I was really able to do that and, and I really shone. You know, again, with women you, or with guys, you're going to see that often in the sports. So they're in sports, and they're, as they were graduating, they're coming out of school as a sports scholarship or whatever. They remember everything about how they could throw that football or how they could hit that ball or how they could get a basket. Okay, but that was 30 years ago. Your body isn't moving like that anymore, in case you haven't noticed. It's time to move into the next season. And yet we're stuck in these time warps because that's where everything was good. You know, often we'll do that. And again, I hear this with women or with men when they're children. Well, well, then back when the kids were little. But they're not little now. Well, back when I had that job, back when I was doing this, back when I was doing that. And they end up tying themselves to their back instead of to their forward. Whereas Paul says, forgetting those things, this one thing I have learned, forgetting those things that are behind and pressing on to the mark of the high calling of Christ. But if our behind is going to distract us from moving forward, then we will never be able to move forward. If our behind is where our focus is, whether it was good, whether it was bad, whether what, if that is where we are focusing, we will never be able to see to get ahead to where God is wanting to call us now. We're never going to take that next step. We're never going to be able to move into it. Well, Paul knew what he was talking about. Paul was an expert in forgetting the past. I don't believe, I certainly don't know of anybody in here that had the past to forget what Paul had to forget. You know, the Apostle Paul was raised as a Roman citizen in the Hebrew state. 
He had a Hebrew background and a Roman citizenship. In fact, at one point when he mentions, he says, you know, you think it's okay to strike a Roman citizen? And the guy goes, oh, sorry, I didn't know you were Roman. Whoa, back up, back up here. Forgive me. How did you become a Roman? What did it cost you? Well, I was born free. Oh, <laughs> okay, we won't, we'll just send you off. We won't touch you anymore. There is a purpose that came, there's a value. So Paul could look back and he could say, you know, I was raised in the Jewish tradition. I was raised by some of the best rabbis. I was raised as a free citizen of Rome. I, was, I had a good thing going for me. I had education. I had a position. I was in line for promotion. And yet Paul says, I count all of that as nothing but dumb. Paul moves ahead. He ended up being so zealous for the Hebrew faith or for the Jewish faith that he was actually a, a, a one that went ahead and he was killing Christians. He would find Christians and bring, have them put to death because they were teaching this heresy and he was defending the faith. Once he met Jesus, of course, his life plans changed. But Paul had more to forget than anybody that I know of in this room. I cannot imagine how it would be to have spent your life or spent your energy going from city to city looking for Christians, bringing them before the magistrates, having them put to death. See, Paul was standing there when Stephen was stoned. In fact, it says they had taken Stephen's clothes or coat and put it at Paul's feet or Saul's feet. So he saw what his heart had accomplished. He saw people die because of the hatred that he had. And he had to forget that. On the road to Damascus, he met Jesus, and he went from Saul to Paul. He went from a Christian killer to a Christian maker. The great thing is that even though he had done all of these things wrong, God was able to use him. His future was still intact. And that's really the message that I believe we need to recognize today. Whatever you have done, good or bad, your future is still intact. Life, friends, circumstances, devils, and even we ourselves can try to convince us that we don't have a future because of our past, but the future is still unwritten. The future is still waiting to be penned. What you write on the pages of your future is up to you. Now Mark 9.23 says all things are possible for those who believe. So whatever situation you are facing, God has promised you that you win, according to 2 Corinthians 2.14. He has promised you an abundant life if you will only believe him. John 10.10. 10. Proverbs 3.5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. In the New Century Version, verse 6 says, Remember the Lord in all you do, and he will give you success. Then verse 7 goes on to say, Don't depend on your own wisdom. Respect the Lord and refuse to do wrong. Have you ever thought that when you're sinning, you're showing disrespect to God. So whatever season of life you find yourself, the advice stays the same. Commit yourself to God first, and He will give you the wisdom, and He will direct your path. 
See, a lot of people want to do things for themselves, but have you ever asked yourself why? There's a lot of people find it very hard to accept help, and you can offer them help, and they say, oh, no, no, I'm fine. Why? What is it that causes people to reject help? See, we're part of the body of Christ. We believe that God has joined us together fitly, that the whole body is built up and edified from that which every joint supplies. And yet as soon as one of the other joints or one of the other members try to help us, we end up holding back and saying, well, it's okay. It's okay. I got it. I can really only think of one thing, and that would be pride. That's holding me back from admitting that I have a need or I have something that I need some help with. And I have also found that in the body of Christ, if there is a legitimate need, most of the body is only more than willing to reach out and try to help, if they're allowed to. But see, the other thing that happens, when I can't accept help, I also can't give it as easily. Often. Because I can do it myself, though they should be able to do it themselves. And we almost start looking at it as a little badge that we can wear with pride, saying, hey, I'm self-sufficient. Self-sufficient means alone. (laughs) You're incapable of receiving help. Self-sufficient means you are only as strong as you yourself are. When you can count on the rest and call on the rest, you're going to find out that there's a power there that can help you. It will also obligate you then to help the next time you see somebody having a need. So why do things for yourself when God wants to help you? Why do things by yourself when you have the Holy Ghost to inspire and lead you? Why do we spend hours worrying about stuff that God already has the answer for? So believe God, trust Him, and forget what happened in the past. The Lord has good things in store for your future, and as you believe that and speak that out, there is nothing that He cannot or will not do for you, for His children. There's a couple of quotes that I found from different Christian uh, teachers. John Osteen said, Great it is to believe the dream as we stand in youth by the starry stream. But a greater thing is to fight life through and say at the end, The dream is true. A lot of people will try to talk you out of your dream. You have to be delivered from people. And see, a lot of times we allow everybody else's opinion to have a vote in our life. Now, they may have an opinion. The vote is not theirs. Bob Nichols made the comment, Hope is the dream, the vision. It is the automatic pilot on the airplane. Faith is the power of those jet engines that sent that plane to its destination. It is the hope that sets your vision. It is the hope that is the dream, and it tells you where you're going to go or what could be. And then R.W. Schombach, another great teacher, God never looks at you with the weakness you have. God looks at you as a finished product when you yield your life to him and say, Here I am, Lord. Melt me and mold me and fashion me after your likeness so that I can do what you want me to do. These are inspiring quotes. These are some great men of God. They went far in the kingdom. Those of you that don't know who John Osteen was, he's Joel Osteen's father. He started the Lakewood Church. They went ahead and they started great things, but they had a dream that carried them through. A dream that took them past where everybody else quit. 
A dream that allowed them to keep dreaming when the pressure was on. You can listen to some of their testimonies as they talk about the different things that they faced. And it's stuff that most of us haven't even dreamt of facing yet. They all not only faced it, they went through it. And they came out victorious on the other side. These are the people we need to learn from. These are the people we need to watch. I read an article. It's from the book, The Invisible Mother, written by Nicole Johnson, or The Invisible Woman. I've never read the book. I just read this quote, and I thought the quote was good. And at Mother's Day, I felt I just wanted to read this little article. It's entitled The Invisible Mother. It all began to make sense. The blank stares, the lack of response... The way one of the kids will walk into the room when I'm on the phone and ask to be taken to the store. Inside, I'm thinking, can't you see I'm on the phone? Obviously not. No one can see if I'm on the phone or cooking or sweeping the floor or even standing on my head in the corner because no one can see me at all. I'm invisible, the invisible mom. Some days I am only a pair of hands, nothing more. Can you fix this? Can you tie this? Can you open this? Some days I'm not a pair of hands. I'm not even a human being. I'm a clock to ask, what time is it? I'm a satellite guide to answer, what number is the Disney Channel? I'm a car to order, right around 5.30, please. Now, I was certain that these were the hands that once held books and the eyes that studied history and the mind that graduated summa cum laude, but now they had disappeared into the peanut butter, never to be seen again. She's going. She's going. She's gone. One night, a group of us were having dinner celebrating the return of a friend from England. Janice had just gotten back from a fabulous trip, and she was going on and on about the hotel she stayed in. I was sitting there, looking around at the others, all put together so well. It was hard not to compare and feel sorry for myself. I was feeling pretty pathetic when Janice turned to me with a beautifully wrapped package and said, I brought you this. It was a book on the great cathedrals of Europe. I wasn't exactly sure why she had given it to me until I read her inscription. To Charlotte, with admiration for the greatness of what you are building when no one sees. In the days ahead, I would read, no, devour the book. And I would discover what would become for me four life-changing truths after which I could pattern my work. No one can say who built the great cathedrals. We have no record of their names. These builders gave their whole lives for a work that they would never see finished. They made great sacrifices and they expected no credit. The passion of their building was fueled by their faith that the eyes of God saw everything. A legendary story in the book told of a rich man who came to visit the cathedral while it was being built, and he saw a workman carving a tiny bird on the inside of a beam. He was puzzled, and he asked the man, Why are you spending so much time carving that bird into a beam that will be covered by the roof? No one will ever see it. And the workman replied, God sees. I closed the book, feeling the missing piece fall into place. It was almost as if I had heard God whispering to me, I see you, Charlotte. I see the sacrifices you make every day, even when no one around you does. No act of kindness that you have done, 
No sequin that you have sewn on, no cupcake that you have baked is too small for me to notice and smile over. You are building a great cathedral, but you can't see right now what it will become. At times, my invisibility feels like an affliction. But it is not a disease that is erasing my life. It is the cure for the disease of my own self-centeredness. It is the antidote to my strong, stubborn pride. I keep the right perspective when I see myself as a great builder, as one of the people who show up at the job that they will never see finished to work on something that their name will never be on. The writer of the book went so far as to say that no cathedrals could ever be built in our lifetime because there are so few people willing to sacrifice to that degree. When I really think about it, I don't want my son to tell the friend that he's bringing home from college for Thanksgiving. My mom gets up at four in the morning and bakes homemade pies. Then she hand-bases a turkey for three hours and presses all the linens for the table. That would mean that I had built a shrine or a monument to myself. I just want him to want to come home. And then if there's anything more to say to his friend to add, you're going to love it here. As mothers, we are building great cathedrals. We cannot see if we're doing it right. And one day it is very possible that the world will marvel, not only at what we have built, but at the beauty that has been added to the world by the sacrifices of invisible women. Great job, Mom. We may not see what we're doing. There's mothers around this world that are pouring their life into another generation. Nobody may ever notice. But they'll notice very quickly if it's not done. They'll notice very quickly when it hasn't been done. It's Mother's Day. If you were raised by a mother, your own or somebody else's, be thankful for what God has given you. If you are a mother, God is watching. He is seeing what you're doing. And he's entrusted you. I believe he's pleased. But the world can look and say, now there's children that were raised properly. Pastor Jerry and myself went out for dinner the other night and we sat there with Pete and Penny actually and there's a table with kids right beside of us and we're sitting now. we're going, oh. Another one of those dinners. <laughs> because we've had those before. When we left, the comment was made, Wow, those children were well-behaved. There's parents that had trained kids. It was a pleasure. I don't know their names. I don't know who they were. But I do know that what they were doing worked. This morning, we want to honor the mothers. Everyone, for what you're doing. You know, there's some mothers, they say, well, I'm not a mother. You're a mother because you're impacting another generation. You're teaching young people how to love Jesus. A lot of the people that work in the nursery, that work in the youth, that work in the different programs, 
your mother's, you're imparting. My spiritual mother never gave birth to me. But there's been many times in our lives when Pastor Jerry and I have talked and I said, what would Pastor Hazel say? (laughs) My spiritual mother. They left an impact. They formed. So I would just like to call the mothers up. I'd just like to pray over you. Just give you a token of the appreciation that we have for the mothers that are doing so much. And then we'll dismiss.